right, we'll start in Genesis tonight, in chapter 3. Today, this morning, I said tonight. Genesis 3, 16 and 17, as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we ask for your blessings, Father. Lord, I don't want to just say that in words. Father, we desire that you would descend into our midst and that you would speak to us. Oh, Father, I so often think, why am I here? Why are we here? We've gathered together to hear from Thee, Father, to commune with Thee, to fellowship with Thee, to fellowship with each other around the Word. Father, to know more of the Lord Jesus Christ and His sufferings and death for our sins. And Father, to, to speak of Him, to worship Him. Father, to, to seek to love Him more. <clears throat> we thank You for the forgiveness of sins. Father, all which took place on his bloody cross on Golgotha's hill, we thank you for that, Father. I thank you for that personally. We are here to remember his death and his shed blood for our sins. Father, may we never take it lightly as we've just sang in the song. Father, may we never think any sin is okay to continue in or to commit. Help us, Father. Bless your people. Bless us with your presence. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> when our first parents fell into sin, it was the beginning of sorrows. You read about that. There was, think about the first two chapters of Genesis. It was, it was a time of joy. There was no sin. There was no pain. There were no tears. There was no fear. There was no death. When our first parents fell into sin, it was the beginning of sorrows for them and for every human that would be born into the world. We all know what sorrow is. We all know what grief is. Sorrow is a result of either our own sins or the sins of others. Or the sins of the world, we see it. And really a right response from someone who has been forgiven for their sins and saved from their sins is to sorrow for both our own sins and for the sins of others. We see it in the world. It ought to bring us sorrow. We should never glory that someone else has fallen into sin. Even if it's your enemy, you might say. In fact, the scriptures say, don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Because the Lord will see that and it'll displease him. We should never say that was good for them. That we should never do that. But in Genesis 3.16, it's communicated um, both to the woman and then to the man. In 3.16, unto the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Not just that she'll have sorrow, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Speaking of bearing children, thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Ladies, you know, you bring forth children. And listen, even as they grow, there are sorrows that are associated with raising children. And 
we have that sorrow, both fathers and mothers. And so God says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. And then unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. I'm reminded of that every time I cut my grass, because I have the, the thistles that are encroaching into our property, and I, I have to get close to the side on the riding lawnmower, and almost without fail, I get scraped by one of these thistles, and I'm reminded of that. And when I get scraped, I, I can utter to myself and to the Lord, that's my fault. It came forth because of my sin. But at this point in Adam and Eve's life, the Lord God's warning to them, thou shalt surely die, had become a reality. <clears throat> By this time, where there was life and goodness and innocence and fellowship with God, there was now grief. There was now death. There was now enmity. And there was now sorrow. This, these were new emotions that had come upon them as a result of their sin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Death is a time of sorrow. And so death passed upon all, for that all have sinned. Psalm 32, the psalmist says, Many sorrows... Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. And we'll have sorrows when we sin. But he says, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Now we know that God slew that animal or those animals and clothed our first parents with those coats of skins. But after man's fall and before verses 16 and 17, God declared the good news in what is called the Proto-Evangelium. That big word means it was the first of the good news of the gospel. That's the first time you see the gospel in the scriptures, Genesis 3.15. When he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, that is the serpent, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so that's called the proto-evangelium. It's the first glimmer of the gospel of the scriptures. We who are in Christ now, we live lives of being sorrowful for sin and yet always rejoicing in Christ. And so, beloved, that's how we should come today. But even think about that man that was promised, the perfect sinless son of Man, and I call him the son of man because as a man he would be affected by our sin. He would actually be born of a virgin, sinless, but he would experience sorrows. He would experience death and grief. When Christ was born into the world, though he had no sin of his own, yet in his life he experienced and felt that sorrow. He felt it for the sins of those who he came to save. And think about this. In his life, as he drew nearer to his cross, he 
sorrow in anticipation of what was about to come, of what would happen to him on that cross, and primarily what would happen to him or between him and his father. He anticipated that, and that brought him sorrow. Isaiah 53, turn there, we'll see this. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, and verse 3 and 4. The prophet writes here, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Listen, although the Lord Jesus Christ was fully God, remember, he was also fully man. He must become flesh and blood. He must become human to experience sorrow and grief and to suffer and die for our sins. That he was both God and man, that's the big word, the hypostatic union. Neither his God part nor his human part was diluted or corrupted or watered down. He was both fully God and fully man. He had to become a man so that he could die for the sins of fallen men and women. Look at Hebrews 2, 4, 14. Hebrews 2, 14. He had two natures. He had both his divine nature and his human nature. He was fully God and fully man. Verse 14, Hebrews 2, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Took part of what? Flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He took on him humanity, is what this means. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So for every human alive today, for every one of us, you're either headed to a place of eternal sorrow and grief, because hell is a place of eternal sorrow and grief, to a place where your sins will follow you, and where you will be tormented with eternal regret. Think about that. You ever regret something? In hell, regrets will be eternal. They'll never go away. So you're either headed there or you're headed to a place of eternal joy where you will never again know and experience sorrow or sorrows. You'll never experience grief because of your sins or because of the sins of those who are all around you. 
Your righteous soul will never be vexed again with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For in that blessed place, there will be no more sin. There will be no more. Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow. Neither shall there be, or nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Well, we look for that. Verse 8, the same chapter says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. And this is the second death. Listen, for the born again redeemed to those whom God has promised eternal life and eternal joy in heaven, you should be here this morning with a hearty desire to remember the death, the sufferings, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember his sorrows and his griefs because it was your sorrows and griefs that he personally carried to his cross. We just read in Isaiah 53, 4, I think. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He carried them. He owned them as his own. They became his responsibility. Justice would be done upon him for each one of us who are in Christ. And so, beloved, that's what we come to remember. But consider this, just forward in the life of Christ. Consider the sorrows that he endured in his life as a real man, as a man like us, as a human. To consider these that he personally experienced. Consider what he heard from the people that hated him. Consider the, the premonition of what was about to come. Listen, think about this, and we read this in Isaiah. As a man, he was despised and rejected and shunned by his own country. Now, which of us would not be cast down if that happened to us? If you're rejected, if you're despised, think about being despised. He was despised. The Bible says they didn't desire him. There was no beauty in him that they should desire him. He was despised, rejected by his own country, by his own family, by his own brethren. In his ministry, he was constantly under attack from the religious leaders in Israel. Constantly. He was a man that went about doing good. Never did he do anything to hurt anyone. He went about doing good. They should have known him, the leaders in Israel. They should have loved him. But instead, they envied him. They hated him. They were jealous of him. They constantly slandered him, even resorting to calling him a devil. I tell you, this, it, this affected the man, Christ Jesus. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was no stranger to it. This is why he can be touched. And he sympathizes with each one of you and me in our sorrows and our sins. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He endured the cross. 
despising the shame because of his great love for us. Further, consider the sorrow that he experienced in the hours leading up to the cross. Consider the thought that Judas was about to betray him. Besides knowing that his father, who had always loved him, was about to turn on him. To desert him. To forsake him. To crush him in justice and wrath. For a world of sinners. For sin is not his own. Look at John 13, 18. This is... John's account of the Passover in John 13 in verse 18 this is after the Lord Jesus had washed their feet and he says in verse 18 I speak not of you all he said I know whom I have chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled he that eateth bread with me as my friend he hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified. Verily, verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. He was troubled. He was troubled as a man. We've all struggled with sorrow. Have you ever struggled with sorrowful anticipation? It hasn't happened yet, but you know it is. You know something terrible is about to happen. Something awful. You know it's coming, but there's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is fall on your face before God and ask Him for help. And the Lord Jesus was about to do that in anticipation of what He was about to suffer. As we move a little further in time, consider the sorrow that Jesus felt in Gethsemane as He prayed, as He anticipated the cup of his father's indignation and wrath that he must drink. Matthew 26, 36, look there. Matthew 26 and 36. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Then cometh Jesus unto a place called Gethsemane, and he saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Luke says he removed himself about a stone's cast from them. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He was overcome with sorrow. The next verse, my, then he saith to them, that is his three, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. <clears throat> Tarry ye here and watch with me. Hebrews 5, 7, just listen 
The Bible says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, <clears throat> and he was heard and that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Luke tells us he agonized in prayer in anticipation of his death, in anticipation of what would happen between him and his father. And then after being arrested and falsely accused in the most crooked trial that the world has ever seen, the most crooked and perverse trial that the world has ever seen, Peter denied him. Peter denied him. In one of the gospel accounts, when the cock and the rooster crowed, the Bible says Peter was in eye shot of the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord turned and looked upon him. I've often wondered what his eyes were saying. We can speak with our eyes. I used to think maybe it was angry eyes, but I don't think it was. I think it was eyes of compassion. I think maybe it was tears when he turned and looked upon him. You know, Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan's going to sift you. He says, but I've prayed for you. Jesus, after that, went out and wept bitterly, turned around and looked upon him. Think about him being a man of sorrows here. One apostle has betrayed him. A second apostle, a leading apostle, has denied him three times. And now he hears his own people shouting away with this man. Give us Barabbas. Away with him. Crucify him. Kill him. Jesus endured these things as a man. You might be thinking, how can his God part suffer? This was his man. This was him. Jesus as a man. In his sufferings and death, he bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded, crushed for our transgressions, punished, chastised, beaten with many stripes so that we might be reconciled to God, <clears throat> so that we might be forgiven for our sins, so that we might, through his sacrificial death, be brought into a state of being at peace with God. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Matthew 27, 42 they shouted himself he cannot save. <clears throat> to these words we must never forget <clears throat> that he did not come to save himself. He did not come to save himself but to seek and to save. 
the lost, to suffer and to die for all who were given to him by his Father. And he would not fail until he was finished. And we know that he finished that work. Look at Luke 12, 50. He said this in his ministry and as he prepared to suffer and die. <clears throat> he said this in well, verse 49. He said, I am come to send fire on the earth and what will I if it be already kindled? But here he says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. That's not water baptism. And he says, and how am I straightened? It means, how am I distressed? How am I stressed with this? How is it so burdensome to me until it be accomplished? He was talking about his sufferings and his death, brethren. How am I straightened? How am I greatly distressed until it is accomplished? I pray that whenever you think about that little phrase, he was a man of sorrows. Remember that his sorrows were for two reasons. He carried our sins. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He bore our sins and carried our sorrows to his cross. But his greatest sorrow, which he anticipated leading up to his cross, was when his father would desert him, when his father would turn upon him, when his father would lay upon him the iniquities of us all. When Jesus would suffer the justice and wrath of God for our sins. We come to celebrate that. It's kind of strange to say that we're celebrating a death. But we do. Because we're celebrating the death of him that is no longer dead. But he is alive evermore. So we come to celebrate <clears throat> our blessed Lord Jesus' death. Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 17. And we'll get ready to, to serve the, the crackers and the juice as we remember our Lord's broken body and shed blood. We know there's nothing effectual in the elements at all. We do this outwardly in remembrance of Him. We desire to always come of a spiritual mind. We want to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We want to come with our hearts ready to seek the Lord. We want to come with thankful hearts. We want to come confessing our sins. If you haven't done that, and if there's something that you need to get right, I always think of that place in Matthew 5, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. So um, it's a good reset time, even though we shouldn't just wait for this time to confess our sins. Every day we should confess our sins. We should... We should go to our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, constantly when we sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. He is the just one. 
And to remember that God doesn't just forgive sins and wipe them under the rug. Justice had to be done. So Jesus is the just and the justifier. God, rather, is the just and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. The justice was done upon his son that we might be justified by faith in the finished work of Christ. And so that's what we come to remember. Mark 14, 17 says, And in the evening he commanded, or he cometh to the twelve, or with the twelve. And as he sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. They began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is the one, it is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. Now listen, if you were there and you were one of the twelve, and you kept asking him, Is it I? That would weigh pretty heavy on you. To know that you're there and he didn't really tell you. Now we know he did tell Peter to ask John and John said it's he that dips with me in the plate but they were all dipping in the plate so you think about that and it's comforting to know that at least the eleven were sorrowful to hear that I always wonder was Judas I have to say I don't think so. I just don't know. But here, he says, The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. How could you not fall on your face, Judas? Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Beloved, let us come to the table of our Lord and remember his broken body and shed blood. Let us be sorrowful for our sins. Let us confess our sins. Let us be thankful that he bore our griefs and our sorrows. Let us be so thankful that now in Christ and because of the blood of his cross and because he has risen from the grave and seated at the right hand of God in heaven, God can say to us, to you, if you're in Christ, your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. They have been canceled because of my son. They have been completely forgiven. And so, amen. We'll spend a moment in silent prayer. You pray with yourself. And then I'll ask Brother Chris to come pick up the pass out the crackers and then Brother Gary to pass out the, the juice. So we'll spend a moment in silent prayer.
Father, help us now as we take the Lord's Supper, as we come to the table of the Lord. I pray we would do it in such a way that we honor you and honor the death of our Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. We ask it in Jesus' name. Good turn, so.